You know, we started last week um, on a series called Making Room, and we looked at making room for God's Word and how He speaks into our lives and some of the things that we may do or we may have in our hearts that stopped us from hearing His Word. And we discovered last week that God doesn't have a speaking problem. It's probably we have a hearing problem. And um, any uh, parent of children understand that there are hearing problems, yes? And so, um, but we're carrying on today, and, and I want to do so, a word that, that God kind of um, placed on my heart, but also I, I saw someone preach a, a message, and it just really started to stir something in me in regards to making room for worship, and making room for worship, because the reality is, is this, is that we all worship something. All of us worship something or other of some kind. It, it may be our careers. It may be your husband. I'm pretty sure that's what Trinity does. She worships me. Um, that was just a joke. I can't hear your laughter, but that's cool. Um, we all worship something. It could be sport. It could be careers. It could be all sorts of things. We all worship something, whether you want to or not. There are certain things in your life that you're going to worship. And the thing about worship is that worship is our response to what we value the most. Worship is our response to what we value the most. If you want to know what somebody is worshiping or what somebody values, you just have to look at the time, the money, and the effort and the loyalty that they put into it. When you, you want to know what's important to somebody, you want to know what they're worshipping and what's of value, you just got to look at the time and the effort, the money and the loyalty that they put into that thing. And it could be Kmart shopping for some of you ladies. Kmart shopping, yes, all the men understand what I'm talking about. It could be golf for some of you guys. It could be your career. It could be all sorts of things or it could be God. But we all worship something and what you worship is the thing that you give value to. And here's the thing that we have to understand about God, is that God doesn't mind if we have other things in our life that we worship, as long as we don't worship it more than we worship it. You see, even in the first commandment, it says, have no other gods before me. God's not saying, have no other gods. He's saying, it's okay, you can have little g-gods as long as those little g-gods are not bigger than me. As long as they're not of more value than I am to you, you can have them in your life as long as what you worship does not take place of him because God wants to be first in your life. God wants to be number one. He wants to be the God above everything else in your life. And here's the crazy thing about all of us, including myself and all of us, is we can all at times exchange the worship of God for something else. We can all at times in our lives exchange the worship that's for God for something else. We can sometimes end up worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. That can happen to every single one of us. And so worship is really important to God, but it's also really important to us. So what I want to do today is I want to take you on a little bit of a journey because there's, there's one kind of law when they teach you how to preach and they teach you how to unpack Scripture when you go to Bible college, and it's this thing. It's called the law of first mention. When something is first mentioned in the Scripture, it's usually the precedent 
what it's meant to be forever. It sets up what God's plan is in that whole thing. And so I decided that we're going to go back and we're going to have a look at the first worshiper in Scripture to understand why God created that and what does that mean for us. And the first worshiper that if you've been around Christianity long enough, you'll understand that the first worshiper ever mentioned in the Bible is an angel named Lucifer. We all, if you've been around long enough, you're going to understand that Lucifer actually got kicked out of heaven, and we're going to look at that in a little bit, and we would call him Satan now. But he was one of the three named angels at the start. There was Michael, there was Gabriel, and there was Lucifer. Michael was in charge of prayer. If you, if you read anything, like in Daniel chapter 10, uh, where Daniel has prayed, and it's Michael that's fighting in the heavenlies to bring through the prayer. Uh, Gabriel, it's always him bringing a message from God. It's always the word of God. Turns up to, to Mary to tell her about Jesus, and Lucifer was in charge of worship. And the crazy thing about that is a little bit of a side note for you, is that there was Michael prayer, Gabriel word, Lucifer worship, prayer, word, worship, the three foundations of any good relationship with God is prayer, word, and worship. Come on. God established things right at the beginning that if you want to have a good relationship with him, if you want to know him, it's prayer, it's word, and worship. Those are the three foundations of the Christian life, of a relationship with God. If you do those three things well, friend, you'll have a great relationship with but there are two passages of Scripture that we're going to look at it in a moment that describes Lucifer, that talks about who he was before his fall, that talks about why he fell. One of them is in the book of Isaiah, and the other one is in the book of Ezekiel. Now, in your Bible, when you look at the heading for these pieces of passage, uh, in uh, Isaiah it says, to the king of Babylon, and in Ezekiel it says, to the king of Tyre, but as we read this, you'll understand that what the prophets are prophesying to or speaking to are not the actual kings themselves, but the spirit of Lucifer that is operating inside the kings and through the kings. Because they say a couple of things like, you were there at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Well, those kings weren't there in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. So you need to understand that what they're speaking to here is the spirit of Lucifer that's trying to operate through the king. So they're speaking directly. Because how many people know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but our principalities and powers? It's a little bit the same as when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was speaking the spirit of Lucifer that was trying to operate through Peter to cause Jesus not to do what the plan was. So I say all that so that you can understand that when you look at this, that this is actually speaking about Lucifer. So in Isaiah 14, chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, it says this, how you have fallen from heaven. So it's obvious right there and then that we're not speaking to the king of Babylon because he wasn't in heaven before, yeah? Morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to earth you who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, and listen to this, listen to the language and the words that he uses here uh, that Lucifer said in his heart. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. See how he's always talking about, I'm going to go above you. I'm going to be higher than you. I'm going to ascend beyond you. Because his name for God is this, and I will make myself like the Most High. So Lucifer called God the Most High. In other words, God was the highest thing. He was, the, he was at the top of the chain. And Lucifer is saying, I'm going to ascend beyond you. I'm going to go higher than you. I'm going to reach out beyond you. Lucifer didn't like the fact that God was the most high God. And Lucifer wanted to become the most high God. And because of that, God kicked him out of heaven. God sent him out of heaven. Because why? There is no one that is above the most high God. And God takes it personally, when we put other things above him. God is the most high. So anything that we put above him, that we're going to worship above him, he takes personally. And that's why, friends, we have to be really, really careful of what we worship. We have to be careful of what we really love and make sure that we don't love that more than we love God. Because when we love something, or we value something, or we worship something higher than God, when we do that, we are doing the very same thing that Lucifer did. And in Isaiah 14, 11, it goes on and it says, your pomp, in other words, your, your pride, your arrogance, is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your string instrument. So here's a really interesting thing. So we're just doing a little bit of theology here. We're doing a little bit of understanding about Lucifer and that. But it says here that in the sound of your stringed instruments. So most Bible scholars, most theologians um, would say that Satan or Lucifer didn't actually play instruments, but he was an instrument. Okay, so we're talking about the first worshiper. He didn't play instrument, he was an instrument. He didn't do worship, he was worship. God created Lucifer to worship him. It goes on and it says in Ezekiel, it says this in, in, in the next passage in Ezekiel, it says in chapter 28, verses 12 to 13, it says, you were the seal of perfection. This is God talking about how he made him. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Hence, once again, why it's not the king of Tyre, because he wasn't in the Garden of Eden. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone adorned Canelian, crystallite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper. Don't even know how to pronounce the next one. Turquoise and beryl. So he's, he's saying that you were covered. I mean, this is like bling, bling to a whole nother level. Like, you know, if diamonds are a girl's best friend, this is like taking it to a whole nother place. And then he says this. He says, your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Now, we're going to have a look at um, the New King James because it kind of breaks down what those mountains and settings were, and this is really important for us to understand because 
we understand by the previous verse that God had made him a stringed instrument and he had adorned him in precious stones because the Bible's describing what he looked like and how God created him, but he was more than just a stringed instrument. And those, those mountings, those settings in those mountings, in the King James Version, it helps you to understand what they were. So it says this in the King James Version of chapter 28, says, you were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was your covering and emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So the New King James says that there were timbrels and there were pipes. We already know that he was a stringed instrument, but now he's the timbrels, which are basically like cymbals, so that represents percussion. And then there was the wind or the pipes, which that basically is an example of a wind instrument. Now, why is this all interesting? Why is this all important? That there was percussion, that there was wind instruments, and there was string instruments. Because if you're a musician, you already know what I'm about to say. The three main instruments that make up any orchestra and make up any kind of music are put into three categories. Stringed, wind instruments, and percussion. So what the scripture is teaching us here is that Lucifer, when he was created, he, he didn't do worship, he was worship, he was all those instruments, he was an orchestra. God created him so that when he walked or moved, worship played, music played. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying here? An orchestra is broken up into three sections when it plays, the string section the wind section, and the percussion section. And Lucifer, Satan, was created to be all these things. He didn't play them. He was them. Now, we're going to get to what this all means shortly. Just hang in there. But this is really, really cool. Now we're going on to chapter 28, a little bit further in Ezekiel. And he's still talking about Lucifer and how he created him and what his purpose was. He says, you were anointed. In other words, God anointed him. Now, here's the interesting thing here that I, I, I think you need to understand is that there's an anointing on music. No, notice I didn't say there's anointing on worship because it's saying that, that Lucifer was created as an instrument, as an orchestra. There is an anointing on music. That's why we have people go crazy about rock stars and stuff like that. There's, there's an anointing on worship and, and I, on music, sorry, and music has a lot of power. It has a lot of power because you and I both know you, you hear certain songs and it triggers certain memories and certain bits of music trigger certain things and all that sort of stuff. Trinity's ringtone on her phone, it's a Hawaii Five O theme. Every time her phone goes off, it takes me back to our holiday in Hawaii. Music has incredible power, and we underestimate the power of music, be it good or be it bad. And some of you are going to probably think I'm a bit of a uh, boomer now when I say this, but here's the thing. You want to be careful what you're listening to, because it has power. And if you're struggling with depression and stuff like that, and all you're listening to is anything but worship music, 
that's half your problem because it has power and has influence. Some of you need to check your playlists and make some adjustments. It says, you were anointed as a guardian cherub for I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And listen to this, through your widespread trade. Here's, here's where it ended for Lucifer in heaven. Through your widespread trade. In other words, this is where you went wrong. You exchanged what I created you to be, which was an instrument of music and worship. You exchanged that. You took something I gave you that was to be used for the glory of God, and you took it and you used it for something else. He's saying your problem, what the problem happened is I created you to be this incredible, beautiful, covered in all the stones. I, I imagine he looked magnificent and he was created purely to bring music and worship and glory to God. And he took the very thing that God created him to be and he tried to exchange it for something that he wasn't meant to be because he wanted to be the most high and he tried to take what God gifted him and tried to give it to something else. And God said, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. I think sometimes we think that the whole situation that happened in heaven is you got powerful God and then you got powerful Satan and there's a bit of a war that went on and eventually God overcame and Satan fell to earth. That's actually not what happened because Jesus actually describes it because Jesus was there. He actually describes it. You can look it up later in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 18. He says this. He says, I saw you. He's talking about the devil. I saw you fall from heaven like lightning. Friend, that is not like there's a battle going on and eventually God wins. It was like the minute that Lucifer decided he wanted the glory for himself, it was just like a poof and he was gone. There was, there was no fight. It was elimination. Like if you had, if you had paid at the box office to watch this fight between God and Lucifer and you paid your $49.99 to watch it, it would have lasted like a split second and it would have been over. You would have been so disappointed that you spent that money. And so here's the thing though, yeah? We, we talked earlier that we've got Michael, we've got Gabriel and we've got Lucifer. We've got prayer, we've got word, we've got worship. Now God has a problem. Because he's got prayer and he's got word, but he's just lost worship. He's just lost worship. Now there's a vacancy role. God needs a new worship leader. The first worship leader has failed. Lucifer is gone, and God needs a new worship leader. So who's the new worship leader? Who's the person that steps into the role that Lucifer had? of the three main things of our Christian walk, prayer, word, and worship, who's the new worship leader? The new worship leader is you and me. We're the new worship leaders. And you know what? God created us 
with all three instruments because your vocal cords are strings that vibrate, you have lungs which create the wind for the sound, and you have percussion in your hands. And so on a Sunday, when we clap, we just don't clap because that's what we do. We clap because as we sing and as we clap, we are doing the three things that Lucifer was created to do. We're doing. God created us to be the worship leaders, to be the ones that would replace him, that would be the ones that would fulfill the hole that was now left void. God created us to be that person, and you were created to worship, and so the question that I have for you and I have for me is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? I want to show you in the second part, and this is the good part because we've laid the foundation for all of this now, I want to show you how God did that, why God did that, and what our response should be to all of that. So the first thing you have to understand as to why God did this, why did God make us? Why did God put us in that place? Why did God not create just another angel to fulfill the role? Why did he ask us to do it? Because God made me and you for him. God made me and you for him. In fact, if you look at creation account in the book of Genesis, and you look at creation, there's, there's two things that go on in that story. There, there are things that were created and there were things that were made. There were things that created and things that were made. To create something is to form something out of nothing. So that's like there's nothing there and it gets created. God just creates it. It comes from nothing. He did that with the light. Remember the earth was dark and void and, and there was nothing about it. And then he said, let there be light and boom, there was light. He created light out of nothing. That was created. To make something is to form something out of something that already exists. So it's to make something out of something that already exists. For example, we don't create children, we make children. Because children come out of something that already exists. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 11, it says this. It says, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on land. In other words, what he's showing here is that this is a made scenario. You have the dirt. Sometimes things were created out of nothing, and sometimes things were made out of something, remember? And so you have the dirt, and the dirt produces the tree. The tree then sustains itself off the dirt, and then eventually the tree returns itself and biodegrades and returns itself to the dirt. But the question is this, is why were some things carried out of nothing or created out of nothing and some things made out of something? Well, the reason why God did that is because God wanted there to be a relationship between the thing that he made and the thing that it came from. God wanted there to be a relationship between the thing that is made and the thing that it came from. So the land, for example, and the tree, as it gives birth to the tree, will always have a connection and will always be in relationship because the tree needs the earth. It needs it to birth it, it needs it to sustain it, and then the earth needs the tree to return to it so that we continue to have the cycle of things being reduced. Made from dirt, sustained by dirt, that one day the tree will return to dirt. 
So let me say this. In Genesis 1.26, what does it say? It says, then God said about you and I, let us make, not create, make man in our own image. Why? He made us from him to be sustained by him, to return to him. He made us from him to be sustained by him so that we will return to him. God made us from him so that we'll be sustained by him so that we will return to him. And some of you right now, Bobby, pray, Craig, hold on, you got it wrong. Adam was made out of dirt, out of the dust, created out of nothing. Yes, that is correct. Your body is created out of nothing. The body is sustained by the ground where we get food from and our body will eventually return to the ground. But your spirit is made by God, sustained by God, and will return to God. That's what we're talking about here. Who you are is not your physical body. It's your spirit and soul that was made from God to be sustained by God, to be returned to God. That's the way that he created it to be. He made us for him. The second thing that he did is God made us to be with him, to be with him. You see, God never wanted there to be a religion. God only ever wanted there to be a relationship. And we have this warped view that we're just these servants of God that we'll never get to know him. And he's up there somewhere and we're down here somewhere. But here's the thing. Why would God create us to just be servants? He already had that. He already had that in the angels. In fact, there's two angels that the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation that just fly around the throne room of God and all they do all day is go, holy, 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 holy. That's all they do for thousands of years. That's boring. But they're angels, so they're servants, so they don't, that's not what God wanted for you and I. He wanted relationship. God wants relationship. Listen to this. This is a scripture that we read quite often at weddings, but I don't think we understand what it's really about. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 32 says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And we hear that at weddings all the time, because we love the, the, the beauty of a relationship of a husband and wife. We love that coming together. But listen to verse 32. Listen to the context of what he's saying. He says this, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul here is using an example of a relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman, and God is saying here, hey, that's what I want between me and my church. It, it, it's not a piece of scripture about a marriage relationship. It's between us. It's a scripture talking about the kind of relationship that God wants with you and I, with the church. And we are the church, the bride of Christ. He wants relationship with us. God created Eve because Adam was lonely. And I believe of all my heart that God created mankind because God was lonely and he didn't want to just create more angels doing what they're supposed to do when that, and doing what they're created to do. He wanted 
to create you and I, and he gave us the free will to come back and to choose him for the sake of relationship. Because friend, if we just do what he tells us to do, that's not relationship, that's religion. God wanted us to choose him, made by him, to be sustained by him, so that we would return to him. There's some interesting scriptures here that I want you to hear in Revelation chapter 21, 9 to 10. It talks about Christ and the church. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He's talking about here, come and have a look at my bride. Come and have a look at my church. That's you and I. Come and have a look how spectacular she is, how beautiful she is. I want you to, he's saying, come over and check this out. Check out how good she looks. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. In other words, not only come over here and see my, my bride, my church, and how beautiful it is, come and check out the house I've built for her. Come and check out what I've done over here. He, he's, he is um, just so excited, so pumped, and he's just talking about how amazing his bride is, how beautiful his bride is. Look what I've made coming down out of heaven. Then we go on to, to, to verse 19 to 20 of Revelation chapter 21. And remember how Lucifer was adorned in all of those stones? And the beauty of all of those stones, remember that? We talked about that earlier. It says here, the foundations of the city walls that is created for you and I are decorated with every kind of precious stone. You see, when he kicked Lucifer out of heaven, he stripped Lucifer of all of those precious stones when he fell, and God has been holding on to all of those for his bride, the church, for you and I. He wants to adorn us with these precious stones. Not only did he create us to be worshipped, but he has created us to be adorned in all the beauty. The first foundation was jasper. The second, lost it there. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, ruby. And it just goes on and on and on of the beauty of what God has created us to be. You've got to understand, when he lost his first worshiper, he replaced him with you and I, and he gave us all the things that Lucifer had and more because we have relationship. We're not a servant that just does what it's told, but we choose him. We are sustained by him, and we choose to go back to him in relationship and love. He made us with string instruments and wind instruments and percussion instruments, and he adorns us with precious stones, and that is why he is in love with you and wants a relationship with you and I. Worship is not just about singing and raising our hands and clapping. That is all of what we're meant to do, but worship is relationship. And if you've just got prayer and word in your life, you're missing, you're missing one of the key things. And so when we understand that we are all of that that I've just told you, that we're made by him for him, that he has done such incredible things, what, what should our response be to that? Our response should be simply this, that God made me to love him back. That God made me to love him back, remember? From him to be with him so that I can love him back. 
And if you want to know what God wants, that's all he wants. He just wants you and he just wants me to love him back. I'll just get the musicians and that to come. He just wants us to love him back. Last verse this morning as we bring it to a close. says this in John 4 verse 23. Yet a time has coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. You see, some of the problem that we have in our English translation of the Bible is that English words are so poor compared to the Greek. The New Testament, which John is out of, was written in Greek. Now, for example, in the English language, we have the word love. In the Greek language, there's five different words for love, meaning different things from friendship love to like married love to lustful love, all sorts of things. The, the English language is really, really limited. And you see, the word in the Greek there for the word worship, not worshipers, but worship, it says here that worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That word worship in the Greek is the word prostuneo. And, and some of you are going to get a little bit weird on me right now, but that word does not mean worship. In the Greek, it doesn't mean worship at all. When you, when you hear from me what the word means, you'll understand why the Bible interpreted as put worship in there because they felt uncomfortable. But that word in the Greek literally means this, to kiss. To kiss. God wants me to kiss him? Is that what you're saying, that God wants me to kiss him? I think that's a, that's a little bit weird, isn't it? But see, the problem for us once again is that when we think of a kiss, we think of a kiss like lovers, but that's not what this word means. In fact, if you really break down into the verb of this Greek word, it, it means to kiss the hand. It's like, you know, you take the person's hand and you kiss it. It means to show someone honor. It's, it's actually literally the same kind of word that you would use in regards to the affection that, that dogs give you when they jump up on you and they, and they lick your hand nonstop. You know those dogs where they lick you to death and they're just licking you and licking you and you're licking you. And as I thought about this, we, we had this beautiful Rottweiler dog called Bronx. He was an amazing dog. He died of bone cancer several years ago, but he was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful dog. The kids used to rise, ride him like a horse, and he would just carry them around the property, no problem at all. But he was an amazing dog. I loved him so much. And when I would come home from work, you know, I'm trying to open the gates to get the car in, and, and he's always there like, you know, ah, ah, you know, going crazy because I was home, and I'd get the gates open, and I'd get in the car, and then I'd drive up the driveway a little bit, and, and then I'm trying to get out the door, but he's like right at the door, and he's, he's ready to jump up on the car, and then, he, then he'd do this crazy thing. Every time I'd come home, he'd do this. He'd do this crazy thing where he'd just run around the car about four or five times, you know, like, Daddy's home! You know, so I should go, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, running around the car, and then I'd finally kind of get out of the car, get the door shut, and I'd turn around, and straight away he's jumping up on me, and he's trying to lick my hands, and 
just going crazy. He'd run around and he'd just run around and just like lick my hands and jump on me and love on me and just get so excited because I was home. And, and, and that's what this word means. That's what that word worship means. That the true worshipers will be like that. And those are the worshipers that he is looking for. And that's what that word virtually means. Dogs, dogs love like nothing else. Cats will never do that for you, just by the way. You think you own cats, but cats actually own you. But dogs will. How do you know, if, how do you know that your uh, dog loves you more than your spouse? It's really simple. Lock both of them in the boot of your car, come back in an hour, and see who's happiest to see you. That's how you work out. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. I tell you all of this to say this. What the Father is seeking is, He's home, He's home, He's home, He's home, He's home. It's Sunday, it's Sunday, it's Sunday, it's Sunday, it's Sunday. I get to worship Him, I get to worship Him. I get to worship Him. I'm going to be in the front row, I'm going to be in the front row, I'm going to be in the front row. God's looking for that kind of jumping all over, licking all over, running around the car, super excited that I get to worship Him, that I get to see Him, that I get to praise Him, that I get to be with Him. God's looking for worshipers like, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. That's what He's looking for from you. And for me, that's what we were created to do, to replace the first worshiper with worshipers that are so excited because Daddy's home and I get to worship Him. And before you say, that's really weird and God is needy, I, I challenge you, you go away from your family. You, you go away from them for three or four weeks and you come home and nobody comes out to greet you Nobody's there at the airport. You have to get, get in a taxi and go home all by yourself. Or you come home and as you walk out of the door, the kids are running up. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. You love it when your kids do that. You love it when you're welcomed home when you've been away. You love it when people make a big deal out of you. You love it and God loves it. And God's saying, the only people that can do that for me is you and me. The only ones that can do that for Him. The only ones that can bring that joy to His world is you and me. And we have a responsibility because we're made by Him, sustained by Him. We need to return to Him with all of our worship and all of our praise. We can't afford to not clap during the praise. We can't afford not to sing during the worship. We can't afford to not shout His praises because we are the worship leaders and heaven needs to be filled with worship and your world needs to be filled with worship and you're created to worship. And that's who God is looking for. He wants our worship. He wants to be kissed. He wants to be loved. And He wants your worship.